Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this Wednesday night edition of Corbett Report Radio. This is your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And for those of you living under a rock recently, you may not have seen or heard anything of the recent announcement by a certain Senator Rand Paul in favor of Governor Mitt Romney in the 2012 presidential selection race. But for those of you who were living under a rock and who didn't catch any of that, well, here's a short audio clip. Uh, my first choice had always been my father. I campaigned for him when I was 11 years old. He's still my first pick. But, you know, now that the nominating process is over, tonight I'm uh, happy to announce that I'm going to be supporting Governor Romney. Well, that's the uh, the gist of it anyway. And, of course, as always, I would encourage those of you out there who haven't yet seen that in its entirety to go and watch that entire clip. And you can watch Senator Rand Paul stumble on talking about how, well, Mitt Romney has five kids and I come from a family of five kids and his father ran as president and my father ran as president. Well, we have so much in common, I might as well throw my throw my hat into the ring for Romney. And uh, make of that what you will. Certainly, I'm sure that all of you out there have been following at least some of the, the reaction to this announcement online. And perhaps uh, some of you out there have been following it even more closely than I have at places like the Daily Poll and other places where these types of discussions have been going on for a week or so now. So I thought I would throw my own hat into this particular ring. But... As we kick off tonight's episode talking about what this really means and where we go from here, let me first of all throw in some caveats about tonight's discussion for all of you out there who have worked in one form or capacity or another to spread the word about Ron Paul and to chip in in some way, shape, or form to the Ron Paul revolution. Let me first of all say to all of you out there that this, what I'm saying tonight, is in no way, shape, or form meant to diminish in any way from what Ron Paul has accomplished in his career as a congressman and, of course, in his presidential campaigns, specifically over the past five years, but uh, for much longer than that, as I'm sure many of you out there will know, I would say that on the face of this planet right now, there is not one single human being who has contributed more to the cause of spreading the idea of liberty than Ron Paul or the Ron Paul campaign. So I'm in no way attempting to belittle, besmirch, or bemoan that record in fact, in, uh, in, uh, at the end of the day, no matter what really happens from this point, I think what Ron Paul has already done in terms of waking up and turning on and switching on millions of people to this message in and of itself is such an incredible feat that, uh, that someone as humble as myself, how could I possibly say anything against that record? But having said that, I think it's time that tonight we start taking a look at what this really means in the bigger, bigger picture and why it is that over the last five years or so, this in incredible movement for liberty has been so turned on and so fired up about the goal of getting one man into the office of president. Why is it that so many people are able to see so completely through the puppets that they're putting up and dangling up in front of us as if they had any real power? The Bushes and the Obamas and these people of absolutely zero significance who we all know are really just fiddlers playing the tune that has been written for them by the banksters and others behind the scenes. And yet we're completely blind to the fact that e even if by some incredible miracle Ron Paul himself were able to get into that office of president, that that in and of itself would be the goal of what, what it is that we're seeking. 
Could it be that there's something more to this than simply getting one man into office? Could it be that still, for a lot of people, they are still in the mentality of a child? And if so, can we just grow up now? Well, those are some pretty big words, so I will be back to back them up right after this. But if you want to get in on tonight's program, 1-800-313-9443. We'll be back after these messages. Discussing the recent Rand Paul endorsement of Mitt Romney and what this really means in the bigger, bigger picture, the big scheme of things from which we're attempting to look at this and make sense of what's happening on the grand political stage. And rest assured, it is just a stage, which is something that so many of us out there understand and see in all of the myriad forms that it's presented to us with all of these actors being brought onto that stage to presume to rule over us and rule over the country when in fact they are ineffectual puppets who do absolutely nothing and say absolutely nothing that has not been pre-approved for them by their handlers and once again i think that's something that we all see very clearly when it comes to a puppet like obama or a puppet like bush or any of those other puppets that they throw out there but when it comes to some of the other players on the stage we still want to believe and once again, let me make sure that I'm not disparaging anyone's political beliefs tonight. If they truly do believe in that revolution, then good on you and support it 100%. If you think that someone like Ron Paul getting into uh, the president's office is going to change the country, then I guess it is incumbent on you to support that 110% and to see it through to fruition. But it is my message tonight, too, that we have to grow up and we have to understand that unless we start to accept political responsibility at the individual level, we will never be true political adults. I used the C word there in the first segment, children, and I think that's an apt description of our political position if we refuse to accept the notion that simply voting someone into, into office every four years or even attempting to vote someone into office every four years is nothing but an abdication of our adult responsibilities in the political theater. So, once again, I, I think it is it's a strong words to use to call people children, but ultimately, I think that's where it, it, it starts to lie. Because there has also been the employment of the phrase slave, and while that's also an apt description for someone who abdicates their political responsibilities and freedoms to someone else to administer for them, well, a slave by choice is still a slave, isn't it? But uh, but that's a loaded term, and I think children is also apt, because let's think about it. Where is the only position in society, the only time in our lives when it's really okay and everyone understands it to be okay for someone else to be completely in charge of you, completely responsible for your decisions and what happens to you? Well, that's when you are a child, and of course it's your adult parent's responsibility to take care of you and to make your decisions for you. And no one decries that because a child is a child and incapable of making decisions for themselves. So when we attempt to abdicate that responsibility, that political responsibility that is the incredible, the crushing responsibility, let's not, let's not delude ourselves about it. Freedom is an incredibly hard-fought, hard-won, 
and hard-born labor of of love, I suppose. If you really are passionate about liberty, you can bear that crushing weight of responsibility that comes with true freedom. But for a lot of us, we want to believe that simply voting someone into office every four years will be the answer to the problems. That someone, if we could just get the right person into power in the government to use the big stick that is government to beat everyone we don't want into submission... We could just get the right person into that office, and it would all be better. Well, I'm here to tell you that that type of thinking inevitably leaves us as, well, children at best, slaves at worst, to unfortunately be privy to the same tricks over and over and over and over again. And again, let me make some caveats. Of course, I know that Ron Paul is not Rand Paul, that Rand Paul's endorsement of Romney does not necessarily reflect on Ron Paul but of course, it is the Paul name and it is the Paul campaign. It reflects on Ron Paul. And the fact that Ron Paul didn't come out and denounce it, I think, shows something of the fact that he's at least going to stick up with his son, which only makes sense, doesn't it? I don't think anyone would expect him to come out and denounce Rand for being a political compromiser. But there you go. And then there's the other people who would say, well, this is all part of a crafty spe- strategy in order to well, garner the the, the GOP conservative voters into going along with Rand for a possible 2016 run because now he can be positioned as the guy who supported the, the GOP candidate, so he's a good Republican. Or there's the people who are saying that this is part of a strategy to win Ron Paul a speaking spot at the, uh, the GOP uh, at the GOP convention in Florida so that maybe because of that speaking spot, maybe he'll be able to swing some of the delegates and they'll get enough people and the momentum will be unstoppable and Ron Paul will end up getting the nomination anyway over top of Mitt. I think there are some words that I could use to describe that type of thinking that would not exactly be flattering, but let's just say that I truly, truly don't believe that will happen. I think that that is not in the land of reality. And I understand there are people who are still out there, still promoting the delegate strategy, and still truly believing in the bottom of their hearts that Ron Paul is somehow going to walk away with the GOP nomination. And once again, if you believe that, and if that's what you're working towards, then go for it. Go for it 110%. Throw your heart, your soul, and your energy into it. I just don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think that's living in the land of reality. And I'm trying to just be real here. So let me put it this way. If Ron Paul through some miracle, manages to get that speaking spot at the convention, and through a further miracle, manages to convince enough delegates to vote for him, and through another further amazing, unbelievable miracle, he, he walks away with the nomination, and through another miracle, is able to survive the next few months of debating with Obama without the press running interference against him and doing everything they possibly can to drag him through the mud and make sure that the people don't vote for him. And then through a whole other miracle, the voting system, which we know is completely rigged top to bottom, is somehow not rigged for the 2012 selection, and Ron Paul actually gets into office If that happens, I pledge to you today, mark it on your calendars, put it down in the record books. If that happens, I will gladly, happily, heartily rejoice by eating my shorts on air. And in fact, I'll tape uh, videotape footage of it so you can see, yes, he did, in fact, eat his shorts on air and ask for seconds. Because that is, to my mind, not really looking at reality in, uh, in a serious way. It's... It's not going to happen at this point. But again, that's only my opinion, so if you disagree with it, by all means, please continue to run with it. But 
even if that were to happen and Ron Paul assumed office, what are we really expecting to happen from that point? This goes to a further underlying ideological point that I'm trying to make here tonight, which is the abdication of our political responsibility by voting in someone into a position in office, some office that presumes to have the authority to create rules over all of us, maybe that's not the answer. Well, before we start getting into what I think real political freedom would look like, would sound like, would actually function as, let's take another moment to take a look at this Ron Paul Romney kerfuffle and see what's really going on here and what might be at the root of this problem. And I'm going to do that by referring to an excellent article that's up on John Rappaport's blog on johnrappaport.wordpress.com. Of course, you might cast your mind back a couple of weeks. John was filling in for me while I was away on vacation on Tuesday nights, and he did a great job of that. So let's take a look at one of his recent articles up there on his blog. It's called Thank You, Ron Paul. And he goes on to talk about how, quote, the Paul family and the Romney family are friendly. So it isn't much of a stretch to imagine Romney telling Rand he agrees with Rand on many points, but that it will take time to introduce real change we can believe in to the current American political system. This is a classic bait-and-switch. Join us for the long haul. We need men like you. We'll win the fight. Then Rand joins, and lo and behold, the inside game isn't what he thought it would be. It's something else entirely. Meanwhile, Rand is thinking that if Romney loses to Obama in the election, he, Rand, could strengthen his position within the GOP and launch a run for the presidency in 2016, while retaining his father Ron's wide base of support all over America. Rand is thinking that maybe the Republican Party can't win national elections without the liberty movement, and he is the liberty movement. This is all a delusion. First of all, the Republican Party doesn't need Rand Paul or his ideas. It needs the Democratic Party, and vice versa. That's the game. As long as both parties control the dialogue and the conflict between them, and as long as these parties can exclude outsiders, they have things exactly as they want them. The last thing they want is the sudden demand for the Constitution. And if Rand believes he can pick up the liberty movement again, like a coin lying in the street, after he's joined the mainstream Republicans, he's in for a surprise. This was the year for an independent candidate for president, and his name is Ron Paul. But Ron walked out on that notion. Ron should have bolted the party and declared his candidacy as an independent, not as a libertarian not as a member of any party. And to those who would have screamed that he was handing the election to Obama, Ron should have said the Romney doll and the Obama doll were made in the same globalist factory. The takeaway lesson from this Ron-Rand fiasco is, don't invest all your trust in anyone close to the one political party with two heads. How many times, how many blow-ups, how many scandals does it take to convince us that the Republicans and the Democrats are chronic globalist racketeers. To try to revolutionize the Republican-Democratic Party on a national level is a mission Don Quixote would have rejected out of hand. The liberty movement, in all its forms, is far from finished, but it will remove itself from Republican-Democrat national politics if common sense prevails. When you try to reform an endemically corrupt system by working inside it, by cozying up to it, you find yourself receiving marching orders, and if you don't march, they kick you to the side of the road. Okay, we'll leave the quote there. Once again, that comes from an excellent post on the John Rappaport blog. Thank you, Ron Paul. 
And it is definitely some food for thought there. And I don't think anyone who follows this uh, this podcast, this broadcast, will really be quibbling with any of those points. Certainly we know the Republicans, the Democrats, two sides, same coin, two wings, same bird of prey. However you want to phrase it, they are the same gangsters working for different gangster managers. And that's all it amounts to. So why would we believe that real change can come from within that system? Of course it can't. So... Let's continue talking about what this really means and what the real political answers could be after this break. Once again, you can get in on the conversation, think they're always right friends and they those are the types of people that like to put themselves into positions of quote-unquote power and authority like positions of political office so with that in mind tonight we are engaged in the process of growing up and putting childish things behind us and that is ultimately what the lesson for tonight is and it's good to know that all of you out there agree with me since uh, no one is calling in at all so i guess that means everyone's in 100 percent agreement which is good, because certainly I think I am exactly right on this point. At any rate, uh, let's, let's continue on. We're talking about what this Rand Paul endorsement of Romney means and what it should mean for the liberty movement, which is, for all the problematic uh, associations with that term, it is a movement. And there are millions of people across America and tens of millions across the globe who are now switched on to the liberty message, who understand that there is something really missing in our modern day and age where the national governments of any particular nation presume to have the authority to come out with whatever ridiculous dictates they want, something that generally works when things are all peachy keen, the world is at peace, and the economy keeps growing and growing. But now that it's starting to affect people's pocketbooks, they're starting to sit up and take notice of the fact that the system is broken. Well, we don't have to be cynical about the reasons that people are getting involved in this, but at the very least, the important point is that people are getting involved. They are waking up. They are finding the message of people like Ron Paul, who have been talking about this relentlessly for decades now. They, they were finding that message and are resonating with it, and that is a good thing. But the point is, where do we take it from here as we see these types of political games and political calculations being taken on board? And I'm afraid to say, to me, it looks very much like what I've seen before in the past. And I think if you're listening to this program, you probably were one of the people who were pointing out in 2008 how the Obama hysteria was nothing other than hysteria and mania this type of bizarre delusional thinking that Obama is going to come from the heavens and save us all. We probably all saw that clip of the woman saying, oh, I don't have to worry about my car payments or my mortgage now. Obama's got elected. Obama's got elected. And I think we all understand just how childish that political thinking was and is and continues to be as Obama dusts off the old hope and change routine for another kick at the can. 
And I think we can all see how people who are fooled by Mitt Romney into believing that he represents anything that the majority of people who are supposed to vote for him actually believe is, again, just a charade. It's just childish political thinking to believe that this Romney who was before who was for abortion before he was against it and who actually drafted the the predecessor to Obamacare when he was governor and all of the other things but believer in man-made global warming and all of the other things that are anathema supposedly to the republican base well they'll they'll all climb on board they'll all start waving the flag once romney secures the nomination because he's our man and he's better than obama well we all can see through all of that but why is it that Ron Paul 2012 started to become less of something that was an actual message about liberty and started to become in and of itself just another political slogan like hope and change. Obviously, there there is a political ideology backing that up, but when I started to see that being applied as nothing more than a political slogan, I was getting very nervous for the state of the liberty movement. And there is a very, very big question of what happens from here. Certainly, there is an incredible political momentum behind the Campaign for Liberty, which has been built up on the blood, sweat, and tears, not only, of course, of the man, Ron Paul, but of all of his supporters who have been working diligently over the past, at the very least, five years to build that campaign up into something meaningful, a political force to be reckoned with, something that Romney knew that without taking on board in some way or wrestling down or in some way stealing the momentum from, he could never get into office, which is exactly why he's putting his political eggs in the basket of getting Rand on board. Well, if this incredible campaign has been built up over the past five years, how do we use that momentum in the post-Ron Paul era? Because let's face it, Ron Paul is now, what, 76, and he's not running for Congress again. He is out of politics after this election. And uh, once again, assuming he doesn't get into office, which I think is a pretty safe assumption at this point, well, what does that mean for the Campaign for Liberty? What does that mean for the Liberty Movement? What does that mean for people who are really concerned about the country and where it's heading and what the would-be rulers and dictators are doing in their name as it comes out that the the dictator-in-chief Obama has been declaring absolutely anyone killed by an American drone anywhere in the world as a militant simply for having been killed by the drones? Well, if that's not a circular definition for you, what is? And, of course, this is being done in the name of the American public, the vast majority of whom are not on board with this agenda of imperial conquest, who are not on board with the bankster bailouts and all of the other mess that we've seen coming down the line for years and years, if not decades and decades. So how do we take that political momentum and shift it into something useful? Well, let's start getting into the nitty-gritty. So, for example, people often say that the Ron Paul revolution is a return to the Constitution. But is that really what we want to be returning to? Well, I have my own ideas on that. Maybe you have some ideas, too. If you do, you can tweet them at me, at Corbett Report, or you can phone in if you would like to agree, disagree, comment, question, criticize, or say anything else on your mind. 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
falls friends what will you do when the curtain falls on the ron paul revolution if it indeed is falling on that revolution well some pretty important and contentious issues tonight and i know that i'm stepping on some political toes tonight with this conversation so i would expect some varied ideas from people out there in the audience and good to see we've got some callers on board to share their own ideas so let's start getting to the phone calls. Let's go to Chris in Las Vegas. Chris, always great for you to call in. Thanks for calling in tonight. Good evening, James, and thank you very much on a most interesting topical conversation. Well, it's a, it's a pretty big conversation to have, and uh, I just want to broach it and start getting the ideas out on the table. So what's on your mind? Well, in and that this has been a pre-elected selection from the very front, a precise political agenda promoted especially to present a Hegelian dialectic pretensive choice between Obama and Obama-like, a.k.a. Obama and Romney, there has never been any true concept that has been afforded to the Ron Paul campaign. The lamestream media has obstructed his message presentment and his true candidate possibility choices all along. In spite of that, He's managed to amass a fairly large amount of electoral votes, even in states where they absolutely twisted and manipulated the electoral process and subterfuged the right of suffrage and violated our solemn right of electoral process by stealing votes from qualified electors and substituting the manipulated data as opposed to actual votes to create the fiction that their candidate prevailed. Exactly I, right. Exactly right. And and the important thing to keep in mind is that even with all of that that rigmarole and all of the, the shenanigans they were trying to pull, Ron Paul was still drawing crowds, thousands of people more than anything any of the other candidates were able to draw to any of their speeches. And people were going up and hugging Ron Paul afterwards because of they changed his life. I mean, absolutely no other candidate can claim that. And that's because the power of the ideas is so overwhelming that people, once they really start to cope with it, just can't, can't really deal with it except to change their mind. And that's the power of what Ron Paul has accomplished. It occurs to me that it's not unlikely that the Ron Paulites at the convention will, in fact, stay true to their candidate although it is not unlikely that the Romneyites will prevail because they have the money powers of the global elitist, including Ali Khan and Soros and, of course, uh, our Nathan Adelson or Sheldon Adelson here in Las Vegas, the casino mogul, donated another $10 million to Romney's campaign, I think, today or yesterday. So the money powers, including Wall Street, are backing Romney as the candidate of choice. And it seems fairly well clear that Obama will not be the candidate this year, and Romney will, although there is a potential fly in the political ointment, in my observation, that it is still a contention that Ron Paul, although I don't think Paul will be the one to go to a third-party position, although Gary Johnson of New Mexico, I believe, is a true viable third-party non 
politically affiliated to the mainstream candidate choice available to the Paulites should they choose to go down that path, although that could be eventually destructive to the overall prevalence of the other side of the apparent two-sided coin from Obama. It might allow Obama to prevail, would be my right, observation. Right. Yeah, I agree, but then that starts to get into the political calculus of uh, lesser of two evils and strategic voting and don't vote for your principles because uh, the other person might get in and all of that, which I think is really what's led us to this point in the first place. Well, in fact, it, it is a evil one or evil two makes no difference, although Romney seems to be a cardboard candidate with no personality, no emotion, a veritable zombie candidate posing as a conservative, he does, in fact, seem to be a polar opposite, although we must be cautious because polar opposites of Obama's might be just as bad, only in 180 degrees reversed. That's For instance, mm-hmm. Obama's a very strong labor-supporting candidate because the labor is the Communist Party, which, in fact, has been co-opted, and mean Americans are hard-working uh, labor people, I myself am politically assassinated from the labor union for being a whistleblower against corruption in unions, have mm-hmm. had their wills subverted, their money stolen, and applied to supporting the candidate of choice of the Democrat Party. Mm-hmm. But if Romney gets in and he busts unions all over the nation, which is not an ill-conceived concept in my estimation, it may then bring about the political unrest and revolutions that they have so lusted for and tried to poke Americans in the eye with over and over repeatedly throughout this last electoral cycle up till now and continue to do so with affronts and assaults on our liberties and freedoms and our intelligence and common sense, that it may be the lesser of two evils is really the worser of two evils. Exactly right. I mean, it's uh, shot in the head or stabbed in the heart. Either way, you're going to die. It doesn't matter which uh, which implement you want to choose for your death. Um, but but the question tonight really is: so what is the solution? What what do Ron Paul supporters do if and when Ron Paul is it drops out? Well, I think right ends is a possibility. Um, you know, although I I don't believe that some of the votes are not counted in this country. The who counts the votes is what matters, not who casts the votes. That's obvious. And when Spain and the agenda of sectarian Zionists that control the voting machines in Spain, specifically the Israeli element, will absolutely control the output of the election, outcome of the election, and they will pick the candidate they choose to. And I believe that is, in fact, Romney. I believe he was one that had been pre-selected while Obama was in office probably before the election last year they had him selected. I, I fear that you're correct in that. And once again, we sit here watching this political stage like audience, like spectators, like people who have no say over it. Because once again, as you point out, the uh, the election machines are, are rigged and the uh, votes aren't worth the paper they're not written on. So yeah, unfortunately, it's a dire situation for all involved. Uh, Chris, I thank you for your thoughts. We've got another caller waiting. So let's bring him into this conversation. Let's get Lark in Texas. Lark, thank you for calling in. Well, hi there. Good evening. What's on your mind tonight? Well, you know, um, the short answer for the Ron Paul supporters is to continue to educate themselves and uh, learn about how the political process really works in the 21st century. 
I know for myself that's a continuing education, and it has been since the last go-round in 08. Would you concur? Absolutely, and I, I would say that I myself have learned quite a bit uh, over the past four years, and I hope to continue learning. So certainly every failure is a learning opportunity, and that's exactly what this is. It's not a failure in the bigger scheme of things, as long as people can use that uh, to, to help grow and enrich their own perspective. You know, what's interesting to me, James, is always tell how a person stands on the political spectrum, how they see themselves as an individual within society whether within the confines of a nation-state or whatever collectivist-type entity you choose, by how they feel about seminal figures on the political stage. And it's interesting that, for instance, I can engage a Canadian in conversation around my age, post-50, and ask him, for instance, uh, how do you feel about Pierre Trudeau? And then how do you feel about Stephen Harper? And you know instantly where they stand. Do you find that interesting? Yes, yes it is. Why do you think that is? Well, Pierre Trudeau was a dashing fellow. He had a beautiful trophy wife. The trophy wife was having affairs with people like Mick Jagger. Stephen Harper is a communitarian cutout in the same uh, mold as someone like uh, Mitt Romney. Pierre Trudeau, you would liken more to someone like uh, Barack Obama today. Simply making the comparisons, do you agree with that? political celebrity, exactly. Yeah, there's a cult of personality involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with all the, uh, the rhetoric coming from Mitt Romney, despite the fact that uh, just by his appearance and by the way he speaks and so forth, he should be uh, a popular figure. Uh, he's a handsome man. He's a family man. He doesn't appear to be someone that's uh, uh, like a Bill Clinton that sleeps around on his wife, who may or may and not he's a job be. creator. Oh, exactly. But, uh, yeah, the short answer is, is that the American people need to reassess what they mean when they think we the people and confront the political realities as they exist today. Because the aim of the globalists is to destroy nation-states. We know it's been to uh, destroy families. And no matter what anybody says, if they just examine the Communist Manifesto and its famous Ten Planks, they can see where America is today. Now, whether you want to call that left or right or just whatever is probably going to be... Uh, due to your own political grounding, I suppose. But the truth of the matter is is that uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn had it right. He understood the Soviet system, and he was a critic of that system. And he paid dearly for it. Now, his book in the Gulag uh, Archipelago, uh, it was... It was a book that was suppressed for a very long time. But when it came to uh, light to the American audience, you know, there is some real meaning to his words when he said the simple step of the courageous individual is to not take part in the we. Contrasting your 
thoughts about how you feel about those words, we the people. Yeah, exactly. And right. unfortunately, this is going to be the argument as we go forward. And by the way, that word forward is the campaign theme for the Obama campaign this season. Nothing, nothing socialist or communist about that, right? Oh, no. And nothing <laughs> Jewish either. Because frankly, the Jewish people have control of Canada as they do America, the U.S. as well as Mexico. It's not to disparage Jews. They are, they are learning culture. They're engaged and active politically, and they have seized the power. And, uh, you know, Jewish people are wonderful people. However, uh, 80% of them uh, have a romantic notion about the kibbutz, whether a rural or an urban kibbutz. So they are collectivists. Unfortunately, we can contrast that with how people consider themselves to be libertarians today. Probably 80% of the so-called libertarians today are also very much collectivist and find we no the fault people. with that. That's right. Well, In fact, the some Constitution itself opens with a pretty presumptive statement, doesn't it? Yes, and then, too, we have libertarians that actually consider themselves socialist. Mm. and think that's just fine and dandy. And, but I would submit that the dialectic between the libertarians and the communitarians is the... Uh, be a dialectic of the moment. And mm. for the Paul people, they must become familiar with these words and all their ramifications. And I would suggest every libertarian that thinks they're a libertarian today because of the influence of Ron Paul to take some time to look the word up in an encyclopedia. Well, absolutely, and I, I agree. I think that that is the type of uh, dialectic we're involved in, and it's what's going to come out of that process. So, Lark in Texas, thank you for your thoughts. We have another caller on the line, so we're going to go to Judith in Missouri. Judith, thank you for holding on. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, first of all, I think the quote is from Lenin. It's not who votes, it's who count the votes. I believe it was Stalin, but yeah, Stalin. It was certainly Soviet. Okay, well, my question is about Rand Paul's situation. I can understand him saving his hide with the party by endorsing. But what puzzles me is the timing. Why so early? Mm. Missouri had its convention only two weeks ago, and there's still states voting. So why so early when there's still states voting? I don't understand it. It completely baffles me. I, again, I understand if there's a political strategy and trying to you know, wrangle a better position in the party, but you're absolutely right. There was no need to come out so no. early, even while Ron Paul is still ostensibly campaigning. It's really bizarre. Yes. You don't have any explanation or guess anyway? Um, the only thing that I could think is if it's part of a strategy to try to get Ron Paul a speaking spot, then it might have been part of the concessions that he would ha have had to make in order to do that. But again, we don't even know if that's going to transpire or not. So I, I can only guess as to the reasons, but it can't be for any good reason. It can only be for reasons of political strategy. It's, uh, the problem is it's so discouraging. When we thought we had... Rand as an ally, which he was, and then he wasn't. Uh, 
Yeah, it is discouraging is one of the most polite words that I could think of to use. Um, Absolutely disgusting if we really start to to examine it. Yes, but I'm wondering how this would further his career when uh, a lot of us uh, are discouraged about him at this point. Well, it's a kind of a flip side to Ron Paul's message, because Ron Paul has always been the pro-liberty candidate who has never compromised on his principles, and for that he has been excluded from the political mainstream and excluded from the mainstream media and all of the other tricks that we've seen played on him. Perhaps uh, Rand is just being a political realist. If you uh, want to get anywhere in this system, you have to sell your soul to that system. And if that's the political strategy involved, then uh, that speaks volumes about what this system is really about and how we can ever hope to succeed from within it. It's too bad. It is, uh, it is a crying shame. It is a crying shame. But I think we have to find a way to move on from this and to learn our lesson from it. And it's a lesson that I'm sure a lot of people around today will n- not soon forget. But there will be generations henceforth who will not remember this moment and will uh, get suckered in by another person somewhere down the road who claims to be something they're not. And again, we have to learn some sort of underlying message from this. So, uh, Judith, thank you for the call. Lark, thank you for the call. Chris, thank you for the call. Thanks to all of you for listening. We're going to come back to wrap things up with a little bit of my own solution or answer as to where we proceed from here after this short break. All right, friends. All right, welcome back. Here we are in the final few minutes of tonight's episode of Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight, we've been going over the Paul conundrum, the Paul enigma, what really happened there with Senator Rand Paul's endorsement of Mitt Romney, and where do we take things from here? Very, very big question, and obviously too big to be able to answer in just the last few minutes of the broadcast tonight, but I do have an answer of sorts that is uh, quite a bit different than anything that we're being fed by really anyone on the political spectrum, because it's almost not an apolitical solution, but it's above politics, it's below politics, it's beyond politics. It's the idea of questioning that system itself, whereby anyone, let alone Ron Paul or anyone else, can come into that position of so-called authority to be able to supposedly rule, even with recourse to this constitution, which is constantly name-checked by the liberty movement as the ultimate principle of and standard by which to hold a nation in its sway. But as uh, Larkin, Texas was getting at earlier, what is this constitution and who are the we, the people that this constitution claims to have authority over? It's a rather presumptive statement, isn't it? And how do we get there from a uh, the roots of that document as a document that was written in secret by a select few men who, I guess, not only thought that that document would apply to themselves and to everyone else in existence in what was to become the United States of America, but also to generations yet unborn, including you and everyone in your neighborhood and everyone you know. How does that document hold sway over each of you individually? Well, you'll notice that in my past work on Corbett Report, I have talked at length about the Declaration of Independence as one of the most beautiful expressions of some of the most important principles yet formulated by humanity, but I do not name-check the Constitution nearly as much, and for reasons such as this. And I will uh, leave you tonight with the words of Lysander Spooner, a 19th century writer, 
who was a very interesting figure, and it's amazing to myself that I hadn't encountered him sooner, but thankfully a recent episode of the Peace Revolution podcast has prodded me in that direction. So hat hat tip to them for pointing me in the direction of Lysander Spooner, who, by the way, Ron Paul has name-checked himself. So for the Paulites out there, this is... It is politically safe to get into this. And I will point you in the direction of No Treason, a very important series of essays written by Lysander Spooner, available widely online. Let me just quote a little bit here at the end of tonight's broadcast. Quote, But to say that the consent of either the strongest party or the most numerous party in a nation is a sufficient justification for the establishment or maintenance of a government that shall control that whole nation does not obviate the difficulty. The question still remains... How comes such a thing as a nation to exist? How do many millions of men scattered over an extensive territory, each gifted by nature with individual freedom, required by the law of nature to call no man or body of men his masters, authorized by that law to seek his own happiness in his own way, to do what he will with himself and his property so long as he does not trespass upon the equal liberty of others, authorized also by that law to defend his own rights and redress his own wrongs and to go to the assistance and defense of any of his fellow men who may be suffering any kind of injustice, how do many of millions of such men come to be a nation in the first place? How is it that each of them comes to be stripped of all his natural, God-given rights and to be incorporated, compressed, compacted, and consolidated into a mass with other men whom he never saw, with whom he has no contract, and towards with uh, towards many of whom he has no sentiments but fear, hatred, or contempt. How does he become subjected to the control of men like himself, who by nature had no authority over him? Well, friends, this is the direction that my political thoughts are tending, and it's one that we will continue to explore here on the broadcast. So I do thank you for tuning in for tonight's episode. And I'm hoping you'll join me again tomorrow night, same time, same channel, as we talk to James Evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com and go over the headlines. And just a reminder, we will be moving to the 7 p.m. Pacific, that's 10 p.m. Eastern slot, as of next week. So look forward to that. Until tomorrow night, thanks for listening, and take care. <laughs>